0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach. Have you ever wondered how well suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website at sumatisparks.com. That's S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom. I, sparks, as in sparks are flying, and when you request the quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list, and you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events, and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information on how to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So tonight, I'm really excited to have as my guest, Wendy Dumbroff. Wendy is a highly trained couples and sex therapist who provides a safe, non-judgmental, and sex-positive environment. She's a certified teacher of mindfulness and meditation and brings these tools into her practice. Wendy has appeared in numerous local, regional, and national print and broadcast outlets, and I'm really honored to have you here with
0: us today, Wendy. Welcome. Thank you, Sumite. It's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate you having me on the show yeah, so glad to have you.
1: So um tell us tell our listeners a little bit more about you and how you came to specialize in couples and sex therapy. Yes,
0: well, of course. well, I, it, my my uh, road to becoming a therapist has has been quite a journey. It's a second career for me, actually. In my first life, as I like to say, I was uh, a pharmacist by my undergraduate training. And then I became a full-time mom. I have two sons who are now in their twenties, and um, and it was time to reinvent myself because I did not feel I wanted to go back to pharmacy to to work in pharmacy. And therapy had always been a long-time interest of mine. I also had some experiences in life with with someone. uh, uh, an, uh, uh, a friend, I guess you could put that in quotes, who was um, challenging to deal with. And I learned. Uh, I started to learn a little bit about uh, mental illness and and some different things. And I was even more drawn in. And so I decided at 43 to go back to graduate school for counseling. And I did it part-time because I was raising my son's. And uh, five years later, I began practicing, you know, in a supervised way and then eventually was fully licensed. And of course, now I've been doing this work longer than I was ever a pharmacist for. So it's my second career, but I've been doing it a lot longer than Mm -hmm. uh, I ever did my first career for. And, And... during my training, uh, when I when I um, was doing my ex- my internships, I had a supervisor who had trained at the Ackerman Institute for Family Therapy, and the Ackerman Institute is in New York City and highly esteemed uh, institute for couple and family therapy. And so I trained there and postgraduate training there, and I really loved. couples work. I mean I I like the family work too but I really really found um, so much interest in working with couples and and weaving through their stories and trying to help them come into a better place. And I subsequently did uh, sex therapy training because one of the biggest issues that couples show up with is sexual issues and I just felt I wanted Mm -hmm. to know a little bit more about that uh, for myself and so that that is how I came to be a couple and sex therapist
1: and so were you already kind of comfortable with sexuality yourself, or did you have to overcome some of your own programming around that? Did you have a you know pretty liberal family or a more religious family or
0: yeah, that's such a great question. Um, sex was not stigma in my family; it was talked about but not. Uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't not open, but I think that everyone needs to, I think that every therapist probably needs to develop a comfort level. Like I recall the first time when, when I do sexual histories with clients, I asked them about their masturbation, how they learned about masturbation. Um, And I remember when I first started doing that and I was asking those questions of people, it was uncomfortable for me. And I remember noticing that, like, ooh, this is like I'm asking this person something so personal, something that people don't usually talk about, right? That's something very private that people do on their own. And here I am just going head on into it. So I Mm do, and now it's sort of like, you know, now it's, I've, I've desensitized to it all and I suppose I've developed a, a comfort level with that. But, but yes, I think the answer is yes, that we all have to develop a level, a, a therapist, a level of comfort talking about issues. And we especially have to be talking about sexual issues and we especially have to be aware um, of where we get challenged because we don't mm-hmm. want to bring that forth to our, to our clients. Right. So if, if they're mm-hmm. talking about something that to, to to us as sex therapists and i use that term broadly because sex sex therapists do a lot of training in this we actually have to go through a weekend called a sar which is a sexual attitude reassessment and they they what they do in these trainings is they really expose you they try and expose you to all different things lectures from mm-hmm. people involved in all different Aspects of sexuality, um, all different types of people, uh, and that what they really want you to do is look inside and see how you are reacting because we as sex therapists also need to know what our limits are, like um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know who who can we work with, who can't we work with because it's really not fair to work with someone who needs to talk about say bdsm and the and the scene that they are really into. Um, if if we can't handle that or we can't hold that for them, right? So that it's, makes a, sense. it's really important, yeah, to know your edge. hmm And so you you
1: didn't directly answer my question. I don't know if that was intentional, but like, what, what was your upbringing what, what, what was, like? Like, did you have did you have to challenge? Did you already feel pretty comfortable around sex growing up, or did you have to kind of train yourself out of some Old outmoded beliefs around it, or anything.
0: I think that I felt generally comfortable around sex. Um, It Mm -hmm. wasn't. I didn't. I didn't. I'm. I'm. I'm Jewish, but I'm not. um, I'm not by any means Orthodox. Sort of more culturally Jewish than any type Mm -hmm. of adherence to to strict religious law. Um mm-hmm. and so religion religion really didn't play a part. The message that I got mm-hmm. around sex uh, from my mom was pretty much that you should you shouldn't just do it willy-nilly, you should, there should be caring involved in the relationship. And uh, you know, I'm I'm 59 now, so that gives you just an idea of the era that I grew up in, you know, very different mm-hmm. from now. Um sex is mm-hmm. I think much more Casual now than it is mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. I was growing up, or a lot of the messages that younger people get uh, around sex are much more casual. And I think even for older people, I think that are dating again, uh, sex can, it, it doesn't is not necessarily something that is so, um, I don't know, hallowed as has to be involved in a, a relationship that is completely. Monogamous and and um, has strict rules around it. Um, right. So so I did I did not have those old beliefs, um, but but again I had certain of my own beliefs that I had, you know, as, as what sex is and and what relationships are, and um, I hadn't, there were certain things I had never been exposed to, nor did I even know existed. Or when I had heard about BDSM in the past, because it's not particularly my uh, style of sexuality, um, I, like most people and like most Therapists, unfortunately, tend to think, "Oh, well, those those people must have some problem. You know, they must be mm-hmm. there must be something wrong uh, with with them." And and just to say very clearly that that is not the case at all, and mm-hmm. um, that is just a preferred sexual style. And actually, it's mm-hmm. it's now thought about by some as a sexual orientation that someone may mm-hmm. their sexual orientation may just be kinky, um, because that's what they prefer. And there are studies that show that people who practice BDSM, there's no more trauma in their childhoods than people who practice vanilla sex. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, I think a, a lot of therapists that aren't trained in sex therapy may tend to pathologize people who have alternative mm-hmm. sexual styles, whether it's kinkiness or whether it's polyamory or some sort of open relationship. Well, exactly. I mean,
1: that's a lot of my clients come from therapists who shamed them or or told them that the, the problems they were having was because they had an open relationship instead of like oh. the problems they're having is because they don't know how to communicate or they have some, you know, old wounded Inner child issues they haven't dealt with, but you know when they come to me, I don't blame the relationship structure. It's more the, mm-hmm. the skills of the people within the relationship. Um, but I just wanted to yes. say that um, regarding the um, the sexual styles or the sexual orientation, um, I don't know if you've heard of a woman. Um, I think her name is is it uh, My, uh, Maya? Gosh, I can't think of her name. I wanted to give credit to who created it, um, the Erotic Blueprint and she yeah, like has like blueprint ca- yeah it's really interesting she's got like five categories and it's energy so like energy people would be into tantra and stuff and there's sensual mm-hmm. people who really have to have like the room at the right temperature and the sheets have to feel good and they want to go really slow mm-hmm. and make sure they're really physically comfortable and then there's the sexual blueprint where the sexual person just needs to know, are we going to eventually have sex? And if they know that, they can relax, you know. And, and then the, mm-hmm. the, kink is, the kinky is one of them. And then the fifth one is the shapeshifter who can kind of like flow around all of them. And so mm-hmm. what's cool about that is that if you figure out what you and your partner's blueprints are, you can make adaptations to like honor each other's flow. So like if one person is energetic and the other is kink. Like how can you create something that's both energetic and kinky? <laughs>
0: <laughs> ah, that's so interesting. That, that, thank you for sharing that. I've, I've not heard of that, uh, but I'm going to look it up. That's very interesting. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I,
1: I, I spoke to a woman that trained under the woman whose name I can't think of. I want to say it's Maya. I think it's Maya is the originator of it. Anyway, uh-huh. so um, so I'm sure when you're when you're dealing with your clients. Um, even though you had a pretty, you know, maybe neutral upbringing around sexuality with a little bit of advice of like, don't just do it willy-nilly, you know, be with someone who cares about you, which I think is better advice than most people get. <laughs> you know, That's yeah. really great. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then I'm sure you also deal with a lot of clients who have shame around whatever, because I mean, I hear this mm-hmm. all the time. Like, like I like to, I had a guy say to me that he likes to, um, you know, put, I'm going to get graphic here, like put his finger in his butt when he masturbates and mm-hmm. can't tell his wife, can't tell his wife this, He, you know, he comes from like Southeast Asia and it's very traditional and he, you know, doesn't even want to tell his wife that he does it during masturbation. And so he he came uh-huh. to me to find out if, if maybe this means he's gay. So you get all this Programming and you know the sexual shame and the anxiety like am I normal? People always want to know is this normal or not? So how do you yeah. um, how do you help your clients when they have such sexual
0: shame and anxiety? Yeah, wow, that's 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 really such a powerful story. Just a, a note on that story: there's a, a sex therapist by the name of Joe Court K O R T, and he's written he's written a number of books and. Uh, he, he had one of the best lines um, ever when I heard him speak once, and, and I, I've quoted him to clients, and it is that the asshole does not have any sexual orientation. <laughs> and, right, there, <laughs> That's are, there, there, there are ner- there are nerve endings there, and there are a lot of nerve endings there, and it can feel good to be to have stimulation there, and. Mm-hmm. And he, Joe Cort himself, is a gay man, and he does not like anal sex. He, he's, I, I think, I don't mm. think I'm giving away any of his secrets because he said this in a in a lecture, and he said, you know, there are gay men who don't like anal sex, and mm. I find that, you know, even in my circle of of friends, uh, uh, mostly heterosexual couples, and um, the men are like, no, 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 that's a that's just a one way one way uh there's a one way road there's no there's no in there's only out in that in that spot you know because God forbid they should be thought of as as that they're gay because they like some sort of anal stimulation and right. uh, it's just not the it's just not the truth it it's an area with a lot of nerve endings it it doesn't as I'm sure you told your client it, certainly doesn't mean you're gay um it just mm-hmm. means that that area is is erotic and feels good just like maybe tickling well, the well, inside so, of yeah, your arm feels good
1: right well your behavior doesn't the behavior that you do doesn't make you gay unless you're doing your be- the behavior with you know if i was doing it with my girlfriend and enjoying it then i'd be gay but if i'm, if I'm doing it with mm-hmm. my boyfriend
0: right <laughs> you know well, it's not you, it's not the would, behavior it's, Yeah, go ahead. And even if you were doing it with your girlfriend, does it mean you're gay? You might be bisexual, or you might be pansexual, or any of the other things. Well, above.
1: it's yeah, I ha- I ha- yeah, you remind me, I had another friend who started going to workshops on sexuality, healthy sexuality, and she was basically, a, you know, had always been heterosexual, and um, she played with a couple, and she did some strap on play with a woman and I forget if she was the receiver or the giver, it doesn't matter. But after she did the strap on play with this woman, she called me up and said, am I gay now? You know? So yeah, she was doing it with this woman that she cared about was a good friend. But again, that doesn't even make her buy or pan. It was just an activity that she was doing for pleasure and fun. Right. It's like, so the Mm -hmm. behavior is completely separate from your sexual
0: orientation. I agree because, um, and again, from Joe Court, uh, who who also talks as a talks a bit about men who have sex with men but identify as hetero, heterosexual. And mm-hmm. your your identity is for you to decide. It's not for someone else. Mm-hmm. And you know, regarding shame, as I'm sure you do, spend uh, uh, we spend so much of our time trying to de shame people and mm-hmm. what they like. You yeah. know, No one can help what turns them on and what they like. And mm-hmm. as long as it's between two consenting adults or three consenting adults, but as long as it's between consenting adults in general, um, or it's done privately, there's absolutely mm-hmm. nothing wrong with what turns a person on. But people do come mm-hmm. out with so much shame sometimes uh, For various reasons Mm-hmm.
1: Right So while we're on the topic of Sexuality and your sex therapy um, It's hard not to bring up The topic of sexual abuse Which unfortunately is so prevalent In our culture
0: mm-hmm.
1: So what is yes. your experience With um, dealing with people who've had A history of sexual abuse Yeah um, You know
0: it, it, sexual abuse is—it's so pervasive, um, unfortunately. And I've worked with many people where one or even both of members of a couple, or if I, you know, I also see individuals, of course. Um, and I think you know it's different for different people. Um, sometimes people might avoid sex. Sometimes they may freeze during sex sometimes they may just have a lot of anxiety around sex and and not even know why and there's people who Mm. may be reacting in a way but maybe haven't don't even have any explicit memories of what happened to them or Mm. or even any memory that something happened sometimes the memories don't get uncovered I've worked Mm. with a number of people who didn't begin to remember until later on in life, for mm-hmm. and impacted them in various ways. Um, you know one question that I will always ask people, uh, which I question I draw from one of my mentors in the field, Suzanne Iacenza, um, is uh, how how do you imagine that that impacts you? as a sexual being today? That this this transgression of your sexual boundaries, how does that impact you as a sexual being today? And that really opens up a lot of uh, um, area for exploration because it can impact in very many ways. Um, it can impact as far as shame, for example. People who were sexually abused may hold a lot of shame they may feel that there's something wrong with them. Maybe mm-hmm. because it, it felt good when they were touched, uh, even mm-hmm. though they didn't want it. They remember it feeling mm-hmm. good. They remember wanting it in some way. But uh, what I really try and tell people, and if anybody is listening, if, if this can be of help in any way to someone out there, is that nobody can help their body's reaction, as as when we were talking about your your client who who liked uh, anal stimulation, um, you can't help if your body reacts if your body is mm-hmm. turned on by something, and there are nerve endings in the body. So when When you're touched in in the genitals or certain parts of your body, it may feel good, but people may come away having shame that it felt good. Uh, People may come away having shame just feeling like it was their fault. They did something to make that person do that to them. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if there's one thing that they need to know is that, one, you can't help how your body reacts. It doesn't mean you Asked for it, or wanted it, or welcomed it, and it doesn't mean it doesn't have an impact on you in your life, and um, and it wasn't your fault, and it wasn't your
1: right. fault. Right.
0: beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember,
1: like you know, I I didn't have physical sexual abuse, fortunately, as a child, but I had what they call, um, you know, covert. Like there was this kind of sense that it was safe. Okay. it was unsafe because of the yes. derogatory derogatory jokes that my father made about women and stuff and uh, yeah i remember this one i remember this one time when my sister my older sister year and a half older than me she was developing breasts and i wasn't mm-hmm. and so there was some envy there you know and my dad mm-hmm says to my mother, as if my sister wasn't even in the room, let alone me, we're both in the room, but he acted like his two daughters weren't in the room. And he says Mm. to my mother, whose name was, I'll just call her Jane for now. um, So he says, look at the breasts on her, Jane. And and I remember hearing this and feeling this equal mixture of horrified for my sister and envious that he wasn't Mm -hmm. saying it about me. And so it's really mm. confusing when you have those two yeah. feelings going on at the same time.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm sure you've done your work and, and processed mm-hmm. all of that. But mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. Uh, 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 that, absolutely. And, you know, I, I recently heard something like that from a client um, who was not the one who was touched and not that she wanted it, but, there was a feeling of why didn't he pick me? Why exactly. why did he pick her yeah. and not me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, wanting mm-hmm. that attention. I mean, after all, this is your father. He's saying yeah. something very in, inappropriate, right? Like that's something mm-hmm. a, a dad might say to um in private. Like, oh my God, I can't believe how much our little girl is developing. It's it's so you know crazy to see her like that, right? In private. Right that's something that you mm-hmm. might say in private. Um mm-hmm. but certainly not in front of the child in that way. <laughs> right. Because you're right, right, your sister must have been like, "Oh, don't look at me like that. Like you're my dad. Like, oh my god. Right. It's not a good, right. not a good feeling." Um mm-hmm. and and understandable too that it is. Your dad and and your sister's getting the attention and even though it's not the right kind of positive attention it's still positive attention that's given to her and not you mm-hmm. yeah that's, right that's and if that's, been if, really if that's
1: tough. the only yeah and if that's the only attention that's being doled out you know to a child is the inappropriate kind then they'll take that over no attention
0: at all you know <laughs> uh, ab- absolutely absolutely yeah
1: that's but so, I think so you know fathers have, such, fathers have such a delicate line that they have to walk when they have a developing teenager where they need to validate her as a beautiful woman because she wants her father to see her, but at the same time he has to watch his energy so it's not creepy, you know. So a lot of That's, fathers will yes. just completely go in the other direction and like not even look at their daughter anymore because they're afraid of their own yes. turn on in their body. There's a real challenge yes. for a father of teenage girls. Yes, yes, I agree.
0: I agree. And creepy <laughs> is a good word, right? Creepy is a good mm-hmm. word because if it feels creepy, um, and, and, again, for anyone out there, because what I, I'm sure as you find, Sumati, that clients also often say, always say, I would, I would offer, well, nothing is always, but most of the time say, something like oh they question themselves well maybe it wasn't as bad as i thought or maybe i'm misremembering or or i maybe i did do something that made him really mm-hmm. mad or maybe i i i acted that way or something and they mm-hmm. they second guess themselves because it's it's hard to put that parent in the light of that they really did something so egregious and so terrible it's hard to really uh, take that in and 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 make that reality um, and and yeah, you know that's one exactly. of the things that happens w- with kids when when parents mistreat a child whether it's sexual abuse or neglect or or some kind of mistreatment uh, kids for them it's it's if the parent who's the one that takes care of them the one that provides for them the one that Keeps them alive, basically. If there's something wrong with the parent, then that's an intra-psychic crisis for the child because then that means, like, oh, my God, there's something wrong with my parent. Who's going to take care of me? So kids right. actually turn in and say, it can't be my parent. It must be me. It must be me there's a problem. Right. And that's another place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's another space where shame can develop.
1: hmm yeah, thank you for saying that. That's that's really the predominant um belief that a child develops is it has to be me, yeah, exactly. And so that, that takes a lifetime of work unfortunately to undo that um to undo that belief that it's your fault. And, you know, if we had an auntie or, you know, another adult that's my criticism of the nuclear family is it's great if both parents are emotionally healthy, but you know, if one, even one of them is screwed up, the other one is going to go in denial because they're dependent on them too. And then the kids are, are screwed. So, you know, if there was more adults around who could say like, we're going to reassure your children that they're okay and kind of take care of them for a while while well, you go to the shaman and get some help or whatever, like if we were in a tribe, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. With the whole idea of it takes a village. Exactly. So if you're, just joining yeah. us, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Summa T. Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com, And we're speaking with Wendy Dumbroff, who is a couples and sex therapist. And um, she also integrates mindfulness and meditation in her, in her practice, and I definitely want to get into talking about that soon. But if you mm-hmm. are listening live and you'd like to ask Wendy any questions, Feel free to call in. You won't interrupt us. You'll be put on hold, and we'll just take your call at the right time. But the call-in number is area code six three eight three eleven thirty two. Again, that 1132 So, Wendy, let's talk about the lovely pandemic. <laughs> um, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine that couples have been struggling a bit, uh, a bit more than usual during these times. So can you talk Mm -hmm. about some of the issues that have come up around communication and intimacy and so forth during the pandemic?
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, the pandemic, you know, just think about all the, before the pandemic, all the daily struggles of life and of a relationship and all the anxieties we carry and all the messages that we carry from our childhood that inform our adult lives, some useful, some not so useful, those messages we're spending our life, hopefully working on trying to rewrite our stories in, in a way that is more syntonic with with our needs in, in the present. And then you just add, let's say life is not stressful enough, let's put this whole other layer of stress right on top of it and let's just do it to the whole world while we're at it <laughs> and mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, the, yeah and so the pandemic has created just uh tremendous challenges for people um and for couples in particular couples who are now finding themselves at home uh, trying to navigate space in the home with children, uh, being home, going to school from home with, uh, people trying to work from home. Um, I was fortunate in that my husband, uh, has to go to work. His work, he's, he's a physician, so he has to go out to work. And mm-hmm. honestly, I think it would have been tough if we had both been working from home 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Uh, because it's a lot. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so it looks
1: like we have a caller. Oh, go right ahead. Sorry. Yeah, it looks like we have a caller. Let's see what question they have. Are you ready, Wendy? I am ready. Okay. Hello caller with the 973 area code. And you can go ahead and ask Wendy your question now. Hi,
0: Samadhi. I've been listening to your show with Wendy and Wendy, I, I love the thing that you're talking about, about shame and about it's not your fault. And is that something that should be worked out with a sexual therapist or just a therapist in general? That That's a great question. Um, you know, it, it, it really depends. Um, sometimes that sh- shame is pervasive. I mean, look, I think every single person listening right now knows what it feels like to feel shame about something. And just to clarify the difference between shame and guilt, guilt is when you feel bad about something you did. You can say, I'm sorry. Shame is when you're really feeling bad about who you are. And so, I would say it depends um, it, it's a great question and if if a person is holding some shame and they have a therapist that they trust and and seems to understand their shame regardless around what where it um, what its genesis is, then absolutely stay with that therapist that you're with if If you feel that they are not getting it because they don't understand your, the, the sexual complexity of it, then perhaps it would be better to find someone um, who's more versed in that area. But I, I do think that um, people can discuss their shame with their, with their therapists. And especially when you have a good relationship with a therapist, you know, there's one school of thought that says the relationship that you have with a ther- between a therapist and client is more healing than anything else. So I, does that answer your question? Yes, that, that is very helpful. I, I appreciate it. I've enjoyed listening to this show. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much
1: for your call. Yeah. Um, so, Wendy, I want to hear about how you blend um, mindfulness and meditation into your practice. I do that as well. I I help people um, deal with jealousy, you know, as an open relationship coach. That's really common, Ah. and one of the things I teach them is to practice mindfulness around those those thoughts and the way our mind can spin out of control around like, what if they leave me? What if I'm not as good as the other person, et cetera, et cetera. So I really liked hearing that that you include that. So can you talk a little bit about what? how you arrived at wanting to include that in your practice and then a little bit more about how
0: that helps people. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad to hear that, that uh, you do that. I'd love to hear more about what you do with people with um, with jealousy as well. Um, for me, my, my interest in mindfulness and meditation started, um, I, I think I was always interested in it as a kid. I knew about people that did meditation but never really knew much about it or what it was. And back in the 90s, I did training in transcendental meditation, and um, that was my intro to meditation. And that was before I was a therapist. Um, I just, you know, finally realized, okay, I'm an adult now, and I've always been interested in this, and I'm going to take some steps and learn a little more. And I use that off and on over the years, as with meditation, people can fall in and out of it. Um, and then I became a therapist, and mindfulness was a word I heard a lot and, and was, um, you know, learning about. And I had an opportunity to teach dialectical behavior therapy groups, and DB, which is commonly known as DBT. Most people probably call it DBT. And it's just a form of therapy, but it's based, one of, it, it, it's based in mindfulness. Which is awareness. Mm-hmm. And when I was I was doing these groups, and I saw the impact that learning the mindfulness had on the clients. And I just became so interested, and I just began to read and learn more and more about it. Finally, I went to um, a silent retreat, a nine-day silent retreat, to really sort of um, experience it more fully. So I had begun meditating and and just experience it much more fully. And it really is – you know, I don't require my clients to meditate because I realize that that's – not everybody's going to do it, and they're coming to me for therapy. They're not coming to me to learn how to meditate, and I need to provide that service. But mindfulness – just clarifying the difference between mindfulness and meditation. Mindfulness is awareness in the moment. It's moment, as, as you know, Sumati, moment-to-moment awareness – What is my experience right now, right in this moment? It's not trying to make the experience any different than it is. It's honoring what's here right now. So if anyone's listening, just noticing perhaps the seat underneath you, the temperature in the room. Am I comfortable? Am I not comfortable? Does something hurt? Oh, I have an itch. That's what's here. I thought about. The morning and what I have to do. Oh, noticing thoughts about planning, right? So it's moment-to-moment awareness. And mm-hmm. medita- meditation is a formal practice of mindfulness. It's time that is intentionally set aside to practice being in the present moment. So mindfulness mm-hmm. can be practiced formally in meditation, or informally at any time of the day, no matter what you're doing, even if you're driving. Mm-hmm. You don't have to close your eyes to to practice mindfulness. You can feel the steering wheel in your hands. You can notice what is around you, noticing the cars around you, noticing the experience in your body at any time of day. Just connecting with your breathing at any time of day, wherever you are, is a way to just come into the present moment and and focus on right now, right here, what is happening. And if we think about that concept, right here, right now, what's happening for me, we really open a lot of space. When we can take a pause and turn in, we can open some space, and we have that. we, We create choice, and it sounds like that's what you're trying to do with your clients who struggle with jealousy that they Mm -hmm. are okay well stop pause turn in because what they might do i'm I'm guessing what you might be dealing with is they feel jealous then they start saying something to their partner oh my god you're looking at that one or you're looking at this one you don't love me anyway you're probably going to leave me tomorrow and it cascades yeah cascades into something that's just not useful and and actually instead of creating more closeness, they actually create a situation where their partner wants to get away from them and they're kind of making their worst fear come true, right? But if exactly. they, those people, as as you, it sounds like you're saying to them, they pause, they take a moment. What's going on? What am I believing in this moment right now? Oh, this is jealousy. This is worry. This is fear, fear of loss. My partner's going to leave me. It's, it's fear that I'll be, and whatever else comes up around that, right, to really sit with that, then you have choice. Then I always say to people, we can't help how we feel, but we can always help what we do with what we feel. Mm-hmm. And as mm-hmm. the, the Buddhist nun uh, Pema Chodron says, you know, rather than go into our usual and habitual patterns that are, just don't prove useful, if we can stop and turn in, we open that space. We have choice. She, she, one of her lectures that I listened to, she said, uh, do something different. If you have to stand on your head, stand on your head. <laughs> you, but do mm-hmm. anything other than what you usually, usually do that just doesn't serve you well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, beautiful. I love that.
1: Well, you know, with my jealousy training... There's different levels, so it's important that we pause for a moment and look inside and see, like, is there an unmet need there? So kind of like on the this you know, psychological, emotional level, is there an unmet need? Do I need to make a request of my partner that they maybe call me, you know, when they're going to be away with another lover for a couple of days? Like, can you be, can you, you know, stay in touch with me more frequently? Some kind of request like that. Um, maybe they haven't asked that because they feel like they would be too needy if they asked for something like that, right? So part of it is mm-hmm. like going inward and saying, like, do I, is there something I need that I haven't been attended to? Um, but another part of it is just that practice, that you build the muscle from doing meditation more on the spiritual level. The practice of meditation over time allows you to separate from those thoughts and realize that you're not your thoughts. So like in Vipassana mm-hmm. meditation where you just sit and watch the thoughts go by and mm-hmm. one by one they just all disappear and you eventually learn that, oh, this thought is also going to pass and I'm not my thoughts, I'm the one witnessing my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Absolutely. So the, yeah, I, I also those two things Vipassana. together, the, the spiritual and the spiritual and the psychological emotional work all together allows you to to get stronger, to, you know, not be as affected by the jealousy. Does that make sense?
0: Uh, uh, Yes, absolutely. Vipassana is also the the lineage that I practice as well and that I'm trained in Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. is is Vipassana. And I would even build on that, and I'm sure you do this work. I'm sure this is all part of it, but that what's underneath it? Where does this jealousy arise from? What are the issues and what are the fears underneath? What, what are mm-hmm. the issues in childhood? Because there's, there's always connections that we make mm-hmm. with our clients, like, okay, so mm-hmm. you are worried that um, if you don't – and, and I, I know you're hearing that you work a lot with open relationships, so jealousy is a whole other piece of that that can certainly come up um, – and, not but, I don't like but, I like and. But and <laughs> making those connections un, underneath. Like, well, you know, my, my parent was never there for me and they always just left. Or or one day my parent just left and I only, only saw them a few times during my whole childhood and, and barely have anything to do with them even as an adult. And, and so they've already been left. And so there's this, this old trigger, that that's Mm -hmm. the unconscious, you know, I always say it's the unconscious music that's playing in the background. We don't even Mm -hmm. know it's playing, but but it can inform everything that we do.
1: Right, exactly. Kind of those, I call them the core wounds, and and we all have our own version of them. Like for me, it's the I'm I'm unwanted. And for somebody else, like Mm -hmm. just the client I was working with recently, his was nobody cares about me. I'm not cared about. Yeah. So we kind of all have a a different flavor of that, you know, from our wounding. And if we can identify that, you know, eventually we can get to a place where we separate enough from it that we can also bring a little bit of humor and playfulness to it. You know, like, Oh, there's that voice again saying that I'm unwanted. Mm. And you can, you can kind of play games with it by saying like, you know, um, having a name for it like the unwanted part of you or whatever and yeah some childlike play to it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah
0: because yes and i i like that you say childlike play because it's it's probably a younger uh Mm -hmm. person that that has that belief right that Mm -hmm. that had that You know, often in the in the um, you know with narrative therapy, we talk about rewriting the story and the story that we tell ourselves about who we are is really important. But oftentimes, that story was written by someone else, and the messages Mm -hmm. perhaps that you got about feeling unwanted, right? Mm Those those were not written by you. So those were written Mm -hmm. by the person who should have made you feel wanted, who didn't make you feel wanted and so you know we come into adulthood and 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 have this belief that oh i'm not i'm not wanted and those voices Mm -hmm. they're they're not they're they're not our voices they're the voices of others they're the stories of of others and and Yes, and not identifying with the emotion, especially, oh, this feeling of shame, this shame is here, but I am not shame. I'm watching it arise and pass away.
1: hmm Yeah, and so I'm not, certainly, I'm not, you know, practicing Buddhism, I just have dabbled in it, but from what I know, like, the concept of impermanence is important, and yes. I think that mon- monogamy, and of course, I'm, you know biased because I (laughs) have been oriented Mm -hmm. as a polyamorous person for 25 years. But um, Uh the concept of monogamy, like this whole thing about, you know, commitment, marriage, we're going to be monogamous, gives you this false sense that there's permanence there. But Uh, relationships end all the time. And so when people start opening their relationships, there's a belief that there's more of a risk but I venture to say that there's impermanence in all relationships and really we can't be depending on another person to give us our value, that our value needs to come from ourselves and our, our spiritual practice. And then we get to give love to someone else. How can we be of service to other people and not be dependent on someone else for,
0: you know, for me to feel okay. Mm, Yeah, that's really, that's, that's really a nice way to uh to frame that that really is and and i agree mm-hmm. with you i think it, it, you're you're so right that the it's the only thing i guarantee people by the way is that however you feel right now it will change and right that that you know think about as angry as you've ever been as anxious as you've ever been as happy as you've ever been as jealous as you've ever been if that was all you were, that's what you'd be all the time, and right <laughs> that's that's yeah, that's just not not true, and so you know that will change, and so just honoring that that it's here. And uh, and as you said, what what am I doing with it in my mind to make it bigger, <laughs> right? And and that mm-hmm. gives mm-hmm. you choice. That awareness, that uh, mindful awareness, gives you choice. Oh, I see. I'm augmenting this and and making it more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. And I agree. And the, that, the whole. Um, sorry. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, just when
1: you were talking about mindfulness, I was thinking about how, you know, this is a really ancient Buddhist practice, and we've had, you know, in the 60s, we had Ram Das with his book, Be Here Now, and then mm-hmm. in the 90s or 2000, whenever it was, we had Eckhart Tolle with his book, Power of Now. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, mm-hmm. this concept has been translated by many different teachers over time, but... It seems like that's what so many of them are teaching us is that all we have is the right now. And when we're living in this history of whatever bad parenting we had as a child, when we're letting that rule us and run us, we're never mm-hmm. really going to have the happiness we're looking for because it's often right here, right in front of us in this moment. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like having that foot in the past or... Uh, trying to foresee the future, and we really lose right now. And,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Yeah, agreed. like for example, you could be with your partner. Your partner's there, living with you, you know, sharing a home or whatever you're doing together. And instead of like looking at them and seeing their beauty and how what a beautiful relationship you have, you're flipping out about the date that they have scheduled next week.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Like,
1: you're totally yeah. out of the moment. You're tripping about something that might happen next week and you've lost the mm-hmm. moment of there with your partner right now. <laughs>
0: yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and that doesn't mean you can't honor, oh, there is a thought of jealousy, of worry, and come back to the moment. Just like when we mm-hmm. use the breath as an, an anchor in meditation. And as you said, it also gives us it's a practice. It's a practice in coming back and coming back, and it's waking up, right? And so mm-hmm. when we realize that our mind is, for example, not on, not focused on breathing and we're lost in thought, those moments mm-hmm. are just as important as the moments that we spend perhaps focused on our breath because mm-hmm. that's a moment of waking up where we come back. And when we recognize, ah, my thoughts are going to x y and z but here's my partner sitting right in front of me let me come back right mm-hmm. let me come back yeah mm-hmm. my husband yeah. my husband and so, always used to say oh no go ahead <laughs> right. no no i want to hear what your it, husband says go ahead oh my this is a, a different kind of example but as we were raising our kids and and i am in a monogamous relationship my relationship is not an open relationship but uh, just for whatever, this story has nothing to do with that. But he always used to sit there and say, okay, well, by this time we should, I want to get the money saved for this one's college and this one's college, and we have to be able to do X, Y, and Z, and I want to get the house paid off and and do this, 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 and this. And and I used to say to him, you know, stop, (laughs) stop. You've got, you're thinking about when am I going to get all this paid off and you're missing right now the exact same thing mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. it's not just around things like jealousy with a partner or 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 sex or but it really applies very broadly like coming back to now oh right mm-hmm. right now look at your two little boys they're not going to be you know five and seven forever they're going to be grown-up men and this is our time now at this phase right and you're so busy thinking about is the money going to be packed away that you can't enjoy this right now? Yeah.
1: Right, exactly. That's a great example. And then how do you use mindfulness in particular with sexual issues? Like I can imagine it might come up with, um, you know, somebody who has anxiety around, I don't know, you tell me, like how, how? what are some examples of how
0: mindfulness can be helpful with regard to sexual problems people are having? Right, so such a great question. So just as we attend to the moment, right? We're we're looking into the moment and what is here now, and taking that honest look at the landscape of whatever is happening. Oh, so there's anxiety here now. Oh, my husband is touching me here. Oh, oh no, he's feeling. Oh no, that's where I'm. That's where I have my fat. I'm not comfortable with that part of my body. Whatever. And <laughs> oh, well, I don't know that think think about one at all. That, right? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, me neither. Uh, oh, yeah, right. But, um, you know, so, so, so um, you know. Oh no, you know, he's touching my fat. Well, if you're if you're thinking about someone touching your fat, you're certainly not in the moment and letting go into the experience of being touched, right? And mm-hmm. oh, how nice it feels to have that hand on my on my stomach. And oh yeah, you know, uh, there's a little bit of extra me there but okay come back come back and you know that's sort of a I don't even want to say simple example because sometimes the issues are much deeper I notice I'm shaking when he touches when he holds my my arms and maybe that person has a history right of of being restrained against their will Right. Mm-hmm. And so we can understand, And you know, when there is sexual abuse, those are cases where the person who is the survivor of sexual abuse really needs to be the one at the, at the helm. So their partner needs to have a lot of compassion and empathy and willingness to stop when it needs to stop because mm-hmm. we do want to work towards things but we don't want to re-traumatize anyone. So if a person has a moment where they are really having some sort of traumatic uh, uh, memory or ex- or current physical experience from a from a body memory because they've been touched in a certain way And they need their partner to slow down or stop, or they just need a little space and time, they're willing to carry on. But it really has to be led by the person who is the survivor of the abuse. But Mm -hmm. more generally, right, if someone is not engaging in sex, the same way we'd kind of like open to, oh, what is it about that jealousy and let's go underneath same thing, taking those deep dives underneath by really getting in touch with the moment-to-moment experience. Well, everything mm-hmm. was fine until he started touching me, and then I got, I had this feeling that he wanted sex, and I really was hoping we could just cuddle, and he wanted sex, and maybe that's, a, interestingly, a lot of times what might show up as a sexual issue has no genesis in sexuality. And a very brief example: someone grew up, say, with an alcoholic parent, and there was a lot of chaos in the house. And so the only way they could they could function was to keep things very ordered and, and control as much as they could. And so they're very ordered, mm-hmm. and they because there was all this chaos around them, and so they did what they could to feel contained. Well, sex mm-hmm. is about letting go. Sex is about, you know, opening up and and letting go and just not having control. And Mm -hmm. so when you're being put into a situation where there's no control, and then so it has nothing to do with a sexual experience, but maybe just the fact that lack of control was dangerous in your history. It was confusing. Mm -hmm. It was all the chaos that you were around. It made you anxious. And then that shows up in a situation where you're being asked to let go. And so mindfulness by turning in and getting in touch with what's happening and making those connections can really be helpful. That makes so much sense.
1: Well, I love our conversation and we're out of time, so I want to make sure that you have plenty of time to tell our listeners um, how they can reach you and um, what you have to offer them.
0: Oh, of course. Well, I can be reached at my website, which is wendydumbrofftherapy.com, all one word, and it's Wendy with an I. Uh, I know most people spell Wendy with a Y, but I spell it with an I. Um, my office is in Madison, New Jersey, and I see couples, I see individuals. Um, I do sex therapy. I see couples for all different reasons. Not every couple who comes has, has sexual issues. There. are many other reasons that I see couples. And um, you can reach me at my website. All my information is there. My phone number, my um, email is wendydumbroff@gmail.com, at gmail.com. And um, it's just, you can text me also to the number on my website as well. Okay, and can you spell dumbroff for people that don't have the visual? Sure, it's D as in David, U. M as in man, B-R-O-F-F, like Frank Frank, gum broth. Just like it sounds, gum broth. Okay, great. Yeah. All right. Well, Wendy, thank
1: you so much. I've loved talking with you, and I love your unique take on um, therapy. I just don't hear a lot of therapists who bring the mindfulness and meditation into it. So I'm really glad you're doing that work, and um, it's been a delight.
0: Thank you, Sumatia. It's been a pleasure to be here. I so appreciate having the opportunity to talk with you. Okay, you have a good night. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.
1: So next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, I'll have as my guest Taina Ixchel, and she is a power priestess and Tantra teacher. I met her at a Tantra festival, and she is just an absolutely gorgeous woman inside and out who's super powerful and she's just going to be coming off a deep shamanic intensive in malta so that's going to be really fun to to get to know what she's up to so please join us next week at 6 p.m pacific time 9 p.m eastern on leading edge love radio and we'll look forward to speaking with you then good night everyone